reminded this week as I was reading and preparing for the message, a phrase came out of a commentary that I was reading and uh, it just popped a a sitcom's theme song from yesteryear in my mind and for a few days I was just humming it and I, I was like, well, do I say it? I'm definitely not going to sing it, but uh, do, do I let everybody else in on this? And so... Um, See if you remember this. If you don't have many gray hairs in your head, it might have been on Nick at Night. But the song goes something like this. Come and listen to a story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. Then one day he was shooting at some food and up through the ground came a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Black gold, Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. Ken folks said, Jed, move away from there. Said California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly. Heels, that is. Swimming pools and movie stars. And we don't need to go any further because the, the point of that statement or that song was this. Every step that you and I take, it, and it, it, it's so clear in Romans chapter 3 that I, I truly believe Paul is, is saying very similar things, not to what that song, but every step that you and I take is one of two outcomes. There are landmines all around you and all around me, and every step that we take, we may very well possibly be stepping on a absolute catastrophe landmine and it may explode all around you your whole life your whole marriage your whole business everything that you have may just explode or you and I may be taking steps and every step that you and I take there may be just a whole I mean a whole field of oil, ready to gush, ready to just bubble out black gold, Texas tea, all around you and all around me, that you and I might spiritually be millionaires. So read with me. I'll read it out loud. You follow along in your copy of God's Word. If you don't have a copy, please look at the screens behind me. And we'll look at these verses in Romans chapter 3. And as I read them, you're like, where in the world are you seeing landmines and oil rigs? But, but stay with me. Let's see if we can't find some. Paul continues and he states this. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Well, we've got to stop and we need to figure out, let's kind of get a running start into where we are this morning. If you were to go back to chapter 1, 
not going to take the time to just re-preach the whole sermon, so to speak. But if you were to look back in chapter 1, here's what Paul is saying. Paul says, hey, I am an apostle. I'm a sent one. I've got this specific message. I'm charged to preach this gospel to the Gentiles, and I'm not ashamed of this gospel. This gospel is the power of God. It is the thing that saves you and saves me. But if you don't want it, just like these pagan Gentiles, and we referenced who he was writing to, this church was mainly a Jewish church, it was in a Gentile city, it was in the capital of what is the empire of the world at the time of Rome, but he says, hey, God didn't create robots. He didn't create a robot in Rome. He didn't create a robot at River Bend in Hernando today, some 2,000 years later. Um, God didn't create robots. And if, if you want to go your own way, fine, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1. But you need to understand this, that he has given these Gentiles, and if you don't want to follow after God, he will give you over as well to their debased debauchery, sinful minds, men with men, women with women, exchange the immortal God. I love this phrase. They exchange the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and all the creatures. If that's what you want, there's a huge list in Romans chapter 1. Have at it. Then he goes into chapter 2 and he says, hey, chapter 2, this is for you Jews Don't start pointing your fingers because you are judged just as they are judged. You are unrighteous just as they are unrighteous. It's not just the worldly Gentiles who are to be careful and to watch their steps. No, it's also the Bible-believing, Old Testament-living Jews as well. There is to be no finger-pointing we saw. We're all in the same boat. Don't take God's kindness lightly. That kindness in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, that kindness is to lead you and to lead me to repentance, is to lead us back to Him. Don't take that lightly. Finally, as he closed out chapter 2, he said, this outward appearance of obedience, Jews, this, this sign of circumcision, yes, that is okay, but you need to understand that true circumcision and to be a true Jew is to not just hear the word, but to do the word and not just to have an outward appearance of a sign of obedience, but to have your heart circumcised. So now that we're reminded of these things, let's continue reading. What advantage then does the Jew have or or what's the true value of circumcision? And he says, much in every way, verse 2, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. They were entrusted with the very word of God. Verse 3, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? My favorite Greek word, the actual only word I think I remember outside of Christ and Lord, is this word. It is meganoitoi. I love the word. Every time it, it comes up, I just say it like 15 times in my head. But meganoitoi, by all means, no. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words 
He's speaking of God here, that you, God, may be justified in your words and you may prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness, Paul continues, serves to show that the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God's unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak here in the human way, and then there's my favorite word again, meganoitoi, by all means, no. For then, how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And, and why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, they're under sin as it is written. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage, as we look at these verses and we begin to unfold chapter 3 this morning, I pray, God, I pray that you would speak in these brief moments that we have. God, you penetrate a heart, you penetrate a mind that by all means, no, we wouldn't stay where we are. But Father, we would come. We would come to you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We would see your love. We would see the outcome that you desire above all things for us as individuals. Father, we would leave this place this morning. We would leave this place encouraged. We would leave this place understanding more clearly the love that an infinite, holy, just, righteous God has toward us. So God, I pray that you would use this this morning as we examine this, as we see examples, as we see the steps that are set in front of us for your name and for your glory i ask it in christ's name amen two points two steps this morning the first is this that that your faithlessness my faithlessness the faithlessness of mankind faithlessness and the steps that are taken in our lives they never void out god's faithfulness So if you are faithless, it does not matter how long you are faithless. It does not matter 
what you do, what I do, what all of government, what all of this world does, God is faithful. No matter what you do, no matter what I do, He is faithful. And that is the focus of the passage. That is the focus of these verses, especially verses 1 through 8, as Paul builds this argument, speaking about what happens. He he has multiple rhetorical questions that are asked in these verses. And as he asks these, the answer is infinitely, emphatically, by all means, no. Make make a noise to it. No, it is does not thwart God's faithfulness. Look at these questions. He says, what's the advantage of the Jew? Or what's the value of circumcision? If all the things in chapter 1 and 2 come about, then what does it matter to be a Jew? Well, here's what it matters to be a Jew, if nothing else. Hey, the Jews, they had the very word of God. God gave them, not because of who they were, because they were some great tribe, some great nation. No, that's not the case. But because of God choosing them, he said, hey, you're really nothing. But let me tell you this. Here's what I'm going to do. Just because of who I am, I'm going to give this to you. And so Genesis through Malachi was theirs. It was the absolute oracles, the verbiage, the word of Almighty God. And they had it. They had it as a nation. They had it as individuals. They were taught it. By the time that they could walk, they were taught it. By the time that they could talk, they started saying it. By the time that they were growing up as boys and girls in a home, they understood it. They understood what God had done for them, what God desired to do through them because their family from generation to generation to generation shared with them the word of God. But what if some were unfaithful? And we have the whole of the Old Testament to show example after example of those who were unfaithful, right? What what if some were unfaithful? What about them? Does that thwart, does that stop the faithfulness of God? Does it nullify the faithfulness of God? He says emphatically, no. Let God be true. Though everyone were a liar, as it is written, God, that you may be justified in your words. God, that you may prevail when people bring judgment against you, when you are judged. Then there's this other rhetorical question that says, all right, well, let's swing to the other side. Then if God's righteous and he's faithful and and sin and our faithlessness shows off his faithfulness and his righteousness, then why don't we just go have a party and do whatever we want and just go live in sin so that that would in turn show his faithfulness and his righteousness even more. And he said, that's stupid. He he didn't write that word. That's just what it is. All right? I mean, that's, that's just literally what it is. It is dumb for you and for me to think that if I go sin and I go do whatever in the world I want, that it will just shine a greater light and a brighter light on how awesome God is. No, God is awesome and there's no light that is any brighter than is already shining on it because He is light. So why in the world would you and I, why would you roam, why would you river bend, why would Brian Tillman or any of us as individuals, why would we think, why would we think 
that it would be good for us to do that. It's not. Some people slanderously charge us with saying that this condemnation is just for us to make that argument. Paul makes his point in verses 3 and 4 concerning your faithlessness, my faithlessness, and how it does not void the faithfulness of God. God is true, though everybody else is a liar. God is true. He's, he's true when in the democracy that you and I live in, seems as I pray that we're going down a slippery slope. He's true when the government of a country is a dictator and, and defies, will not allow any individual in that country to become a Christian. He is true. He is faithful. He is right. Even in the places where Christianity is allowed and culture may be slanting off in the view and going in this direction when he says, no, I want you to stay true. Here is the direction that we need to go. And Well, you're one degree off. You're two. You're 15 degrees off. You're kind of close. No, he says... Here's the way. He is faithful. He is faithful for you, Riverbend. He is faithful for me. He is faithful for us as individuals in this. When it seems that the job just isn't going anywhere. It seems like the business is going under. It seems like the, the bills are piling up. And there's ten more days left in the month before the next paycheck and the bills are this thick and the money is that thin. He's faithful. He's faithful when the teacher says, you came out of this soup of goo some five million, five billion, fifty billion, however many million and zeros that you want to add to it years ago, and God says, no, as the psalmist stated in Psalm 14, verse 1, and in Psalm 53, or 51, verse 1, the fool says in their heart, there is no God, but there is. He is on his throne, and he's ruling, and he's reigning, and he's bringing this creation, his creation, to his end. I don't know if you saw it this week. I believe it was this week. It might have been at the end of last week, but uh, I just started looking slide after slide, picture after picture of the galaxies that the Hubble telescope has sent back. The vivid colors, the glorious creation of all the nebulas that they've seen pictures of. I watched a two and a half, almost three hour uh, documentary on it. And the two, it was the two teams that were, um, astronomy teams that were trying to figure out multiple things about the universe that we live in. They were opposing, they were at odds with each other, but there were things that one team had understood that the other team didn't, and there were 
answers to questions that this team had, that this one had answered, but they hated each other. And uh, as the end of the experiment was coming, they finally spoke to one another, and when they did, it just opened up everything. And it was interesting to see what they had learned. But they took, just in looking out of Hubble's telescope, they took one it looked like the size of a pencil in circumference, and they counted the stars in that one area that they could see. And in that one pencil size shape section of the sky, they counted over 100,000 stars. And if you multiplied that out over the rest of the sky, Hundreds and millions and billions, not of stars. Because they went back and they started expanding that little spot. And they said, these aren't stars, these are galaxies. Hundreds of billions of galaxies. And the psalmist David says, what is man that you're mindful? Of me. Now, to those that don't know Christ, those that think that this is absurd, they say, See how small we are compared to the universe. But those of us who know Christ, our argument should be that's exactly right. That is why the infinite love. And the majesty of God that he has shown you and shown me. There is no way in this world. No way in the world. That a faithful God. Over all of this. Over all of this. Should care about you or me or what happens in Hernando, Mississippi, 2015. But he does. Your faithless steps will not void the faithfulness of Almighty God. But a second point, as I try to bring this thing to a close. Wayward steps for you and for me, yes, they are many. There there are multiplied different avenues that you can go down. There are multiple different ways that you and I could travel. Those steps are many, yet there is another road. There is another road. No no matter the direction, no matter where you go this week, this afternoon, the rest of your days and my days, the wayward steps are many, yet there is another road. Luke 19 verse 1 states this, He, Christ, entered Jericho, and he was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So, He ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that place, and he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, 
hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, this is the Jewish leadership, these are the Pharisees, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone in anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. And here's the verse. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. There's a different way. You and I, we can look at how culture is supposedly driving the train. You and I can see how and see the direction that friends and family and whoever is taking, and we can go that way. Or we can see the, the way and the path and the truth that God has set out through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we can go that way. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but through or by me. By this way, by this path, that has this life, the life that I give. Romans chapter 3 is a hard passage to to swallow. We're going to spend some more time in it next week and not just see that these faithless and faithful steps, but to see... The emphasis that is given to the Jew, the emphasis that is given to the Gentile, the emphasis that is given to you and to me, and that it might drive you and me to the Savior. But the invitation is open for you today. I don't know what steps you've been taking this week. I haven't been with you this week. You haven't been with me this week. But there is one who knows and who has. Maybe you, as an individual, as a man, as, as a woman, as a boy, as a girl, you need to come back to Him afresh and anew. Maybe, maybe you have never bowed the knee. You have never confessed that He was Savior and Lord of your life. The opportunity is there for you right now. Don't put it off anymore. He loves you. He is faithful. And one day... Those of us who know Him, one day we will be like Him when we see Him face to face. But He desires for us, this morning, right now, He desires for us to follow that way, His Son. And maybe you haven't been. The opportunity for you right now is to do that. The opportunity for those who have never accepted Him. Let me introduce Him to you. We, we sang about Him. We will sing again about Him, and He is worthy of that. But why don't you come and let me introduce 
him too. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. You are almighty God. God, you rule and you reign in splendor, in majesty and glory over all. The train of your robe fills your temple. You are high and lifted up. Father, you desire to be high and lifted up in my life. You desire to be high and lifted up in the lives of these that are seated in front of me. Father, you will take us and, and we will we literally, as if, literally, we will be shot out of a cannon in just a few moments. And we will go in all different directions over this area. Father, you will take us to different parts of this country this week, different parts of this county, parts of this city, this state. And Father, you desire for us to take you, to speak of you, to be surrendered to you that our lives might be dead and you might live through us to speak to those that we come in contact with. God, I pray that I would die to self each day this week. That you would speak through me. Father, that these men and these women would die to self. That you might use us to bring glory to your name. God, you desire that all would come to salvation. That they would have the understanding and the knowledge of the truth. And God, the only, the only plan is that you would use us. Sir, he desires to use you this morning. He desires to use you this week. Ma'am, he desires to use you. Kids, he desires to use you at school. Ma'am, sir, at work, at the house, with neighbors, all around. That is his desire. That is his plan. Would you and I be motivated purely from the inside and acting truly in the outside and obey? As we stand and as we sing, you are invited to respond to your King.